This is Parsha Panorama, and this week's Parsha is Parsha Schukas, a very packed Parsha, a Parsha that's easy to get lost in, and there are many topics to go around for your classic Shabbos table of our Torah, whether you're going to hear some vort about Para Aduma, the quintessential chok, or maybe a vart about Moshe Rabbeinu hitting the rock at Meimariva, or maybe some of the other stories that appear in Parsha Schukas. But there is plenty here, and plenty more topics that do not get discussed at the Shabbos table for Parsha Schukas. And here at Parsha Panorama, Be'ezras Hashem, with Hashem's help, we will get through all of the topics, we'll find our way, and we will cover everything. Um, but while we are doing that, we have to consider what is the overarching theme of Parsha Schukas? What is Parsha Schukas really about? Considering the fact that there's a lot in Parsha Schukas, it's a little bit difficult to identify a theme, but if we can, Ezra Hashem, we'll have to find it somewhere in Para Aduma, Moshe Rabbeinu at Meimariva, the death of Miriam, and the death of Aaron, a lot of different topics, and a bunch of, of geographical um, pieces in Parshas Chukas. So there's so much here. And just to simplify things, as we go through the individual topics, which um, in my list today, it's a longer one. We have eight topics. But the simple way to get through it is if you divide the topics just by name of location. Parshas Chukas is one of those parshas that does not take place in just one location, but it takes place in a bunch of locations. So as we go through each topic, we're also going to name the location that it took place in as it is presented in the Chumash. This way, we'll have a, an understanding of the flow of Parshas Chukas, which is mostly, I would say, perhaps entirely in sequential chronological order. It's not, um, you know, it's not a parsha where you're jumping back and forth and having to rely on Ein Muktam Amu'uchar, but everything is right where it belongs. The only big thing to note about the narratives of Parsha Schukas is that Parsha Schukas, although it's placed in order, it's right where it belongs, what you may not immediately recognize is that this is a 38-year jump from Parsha's Korach. Um, that's if you assume that Korach um, was also in chronological order like the Ramban assumes, uh, but if you're like the Ibn Ezra, so then Korach already was out of order, and Chukas picks up after Parsha Shlach. Um, but otherwise, Chukas is right where it belongs. But the one thing that seems to come out of left field in Parsha Chukas is actually the topic for which the Parsha is named. The Parsha is named for the opening um, Alios, Rishon and Shani, uh, for Para Aduma, which is known as the Chukas Torah, it is the, again, the quintessential chok, the quintessential statute, or the quintessential decree, that word quintessential, classic art scroll word, um, but it's the, the most famous and the most basic of chukim, it's the mitzvah that we don't understand, it's the mitzvah, the way my Rebbe puts it, it's a mitzvah that seems to contradict the status quo, right, um, usually, um, uh, when we think of what a chiddush is, so a novelty is how we usually translate it, but there's a tosvos, I believe, in Yavamos, 
um, that, that, that explains that really what a chiddush is is something that's so sarasaklal, something that's, it's a yotzidofen, something that goes against the typical rules and that, that causes a tension. And that is, in fact, what we find in Parashas Chukas, what we find in Para Aduma, more specifically, and we'll talk a little bit about that as we proceed. But before we do, I want to ask a most basic question, and that is, what is Para Aduma doing in Parsha Chukas? Now you might say, well, where else are you going to put it? It's got to be in the place where we say Chukas. Right, but the Parsha is only named Chukas because of Para Aduma being here. But Para Aduma, really, if you look at the rest of the topics in the Parsha, Para Aduma seems to not belong at all. Right, we, we had in previous weeks, we had partios that contain both narrative and, and halachos and mitzvos. Right, we saw that in Shalach, where Shalach started with the Meraglim, and then there were a bunch of laws that were, that were discussed, and we explained how they were all tied to the subject of Meraglim, including Tzitzis, no pun intended. Okay, maybe it was. When it came to Parshas Korach, we had a similar issue. The, the story of Korach and his rebellion is what opened the Parsha, spent a few alios on it, and then after we have a bunch of laws pertaining to the Kohen and the Levi, right, and different things like that. So we have a bunch of laws that are in response to Parshas Korach. Chukas kind of flips things around. We have fewer halachos, all the halachic pieces are in the beginning. We have the chok, we have the, all the laws of, pertaining to Tumas Meis, Tuma and Tahara, and the rite of Para Aduma, the, um, the, the red heifer that was, um, who's, um, that was burnt, and then the ashes are taken, and they're, and, and they're sprinkled, and there's a whole Agudas Ezov, there's a whole bundle that's taken, and, and there's blood that's sprinkled, and there's a, there's a, whole, a whole ritual but what in the world is it doing here? So that's something that we have to address. And while we are considering what it's doing here, you can't really fully ask the question without suggesting a better alternative. And in that vein, let's do that right now. We had all of the laws of Tuma and Tahara, if you remember from previous Parsha Panoramas, those can all be found in Sefer Vayikra. At the very end of Shemini, we get the beginning of it with all the Shratzim, Tumas Shratzim, then we get um, Tazria and Mitzora, where you find Tumas Mitzora, Tumas Tsaras, we have Tumas Zav, Zava, we have Balkari, we have Nida. All of the different kinds of ritual impurity are there, and yet the literal granddaddy of Tumos, Tumas Meis, is not there. Right? And that, that um, and Tumas Meis and Tumas Ohel, they can all be found only here in Sefer Bamidbar. Um, very far away from the topics in Vayikra. I'll mention parenthetically that um, the Ramban, early on in Bamidbar, he talks about all the different Karbanos Parshios that are in Bamidbar that seemingly should have belonged in Vayikra. Right? And meaning this question that we're addressing right now is a question we, that we've asked in, sim, um, in other forms in previous Parsha Panoramas in Sefer Bamidbar. For example, there was Karbanos for the Sota, for the Nazir. We had in Parsha Shlach, we had the Karbanos um, pertaining to um, individuals who inadvertently were engaged in Avodah Zarah. So all those Karbanos, really, they all belong in Vayikra. So the Ramban just says, 
and again, this, I say this parenthetically because it, this is only a, it's a, it's in a, in a basic sense it's a side point, but it's not a full answer. But the Ramban says that Bamidbar contains a lot of Vayikra leftovers because Bamidbar, in fact, complements and perhaps supplements, probably supplements is the better word, supplements the topics in Vayikra. In, in a similar vein to which uh, Shemos is Beratius Part 2, so Bamidbar says the Ramban is uh, Vayikra Part 2 in that kind of way. Now, that can just explain why it's not inappropriate to find these topics in Sefer Bamidbar, but what it does not explain is why sequentially par, the, the Parsha of Para Aduma, for example, belongs here. It should really go in Sefer Vayikra. The fact that it's, meaning the fact that Bamidbar is an okay place to put these things does not explain why it was pushed this far away from all the other topics of Tuma and Tahara. It does not explain why it's the beginning of this Parsha, which contains so many other Seemingly not related topics, um, at least not to not to Para Aduma. So, what in the world again is Para Aduma doing here in our parsha? Okay, so that's that's one question that we have to address. How is Para Aduma the umbrella for all the topics that follow? And also, are there any other themes that we could identify in Parsha Schukas? What is Chukas about? As we're about to see, I'm going to give you all the topics in Chukas, and what will be very clear is that there are so many different topics in in Chukas. So that will only make our job more difficult to try to understand what the unifying theme is, and also what, again, Paradum has to do with any of it. But let's go with the topics. Here we go. Starting with number one, we have the Chukas Torah, which is Para Aduma, which focuses on Tumas Meis, Tumas Ohel, and all the ways of getting rid of that through Para Aduma. Now we move on to the location-based um, uh, subjects of Chukas. Section two takes place at Midbar Tzin, also called Kadesh, and there we have the death of Miriam. And that also is where we have May Mariva. May Mariva, the waters of strife, the story of Moshe Rabbeinu hitting the rock, that immediately follows the death of Miriam. There are some who um, who identify connections between uh, Moshe Rabbeinu's um, slip-up when he said, Shimunaha Morim, that he called B'nai Israel Morim, which is the same exact letters as the word Miriam, um, and what that might mean. Uh, there, um, There is a... Uh, um, Rabbi David Foreman, who addresses this issue, but we're going to keep it uh, just a bit simpler. But here in Midbar Tzin, Kadesh, is the site of May Mariva, where Moshe Rabbeinu hits the rock, and this happens in response to the Bnei Israel needing water. Because Miriam's gone, so is Miriam's well. So the, the well is, um, is stopped up. They, they don't have the schus of Miriam with them anymore. So we know the famous story. Moshe Rabbeinu, instead of speaking to the rock, or at least instead of just speaking to the rock, he hits the rock. We spoke about this in Moshe Minutes. Go back and listen to um, the question that we addressed. Did Hashem set Moshe up to fail? Right? Why did Hashem tell Moshe Rabbeinu, take the staff with you? If, unless he was supposed to use it, but apparently he wasn't supposed to use it. So we spoke about that. But there we have the waters of strife. Before we go any further, I'll just mention parenthetically, there's a Bechor Shor, um, who, and the Bechor Shor is a Rishon who was known for his Pshat approach to Chumash, similar to Rashbam, Ibn Ezra. Um, and he says something that I found to be very controversial, um, it, um, and I'll explain why. 
he explains that the similar story of Moshe Rabbeinu hitting the rock in Parshas B'Shalach, he says, is actually the same story as the story here in Chukas. They're both referring to the same story. It only happened once. It didn't happen twice, says the Bukhar Shar. And even though the Chumash in Parshas B'Shalach refers to the place as Midbar Sin, and this place here is Midbar Sin, they're really the same place. And the Bukhar, the Bukhar Shor has a whole approach to explain what exactly was the sin of Moshe Rabbeinu. And it's definitely an interesting shot. The reason why I think it's controversial, and quite frankly I think it's plain wrong, is that if you look in Parshas Masay, coming up in a few weeks, where we find the, all of the journeys of the Bnei Israel, you find reference to both locations. And if you look, if you follow the order of the journeys, it's very clear that one of them took place in Parshas B'Shalach, because right after they get out of the Yamsuf, we have the story of, 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 of Moshe hitting the rock in B'Shalach. There, the Chumash in, in Maseh, refers to that location as Midbar Sin. And then later, a, bun- a bunch of um, encampments later, when by the time that you're already um, um, in what would, would have been safer Bamidbar, we find at this particular juncture the place known as, as Midbar Sin. And they're clearly not the same place. So I don't know how the Bechor Shor accounts for that in Parshas Masay, but I, it seems to me very it seems to be very clear to me that there are two different places. If anyone has shot in that Bechor Shor to explain that Bechor Shor to me, um, I'm I'm um, I'm honestly stumped because um, this this Bechor Shor trying to explain the story in Bashalach and in Chukas of Moshe Rabbeinu hitting the rock, two different um, stories. His uh, attempt to explain them as one story to me um, is just very not compelling and very not true to, to, my, to, my, to my mind because of this. If anyone has an explanation, please reach out to me at thedatabase.gmail.com. That's the database, B-E-I-S at gmail.com. Same place to give a sponsorship, same place to contact for any reason. By the way, while we're here, I'll just mention that with the database podcast has a whatsapp group it's not one of those whatsapp groups where you know my fans get to talk about um things they like about the the show um we don't have a group like that yet um but if there's interest maybe uh but it's where we post all of our updates all of our schedules um for the week so if you want to know ahead of time what's what's going to be uh coming up in the week so there is a whatsapp group if you reach out to me at the database at gmail.com with your cell phone number i can get you into that group okay now let's continue. So we started off with the Chukas HaTorah at, um, um, with Para Aduma. Then we have number two at Midbar Sin or Kadesh. We have the death of Miriam and May Mariva. Fine. Then three, we have at the border of Edom, right? The failed negotiations with Edom. The Bnei Israel wanted to um, go through the land or go around or, or go, uh, I guess, on the side roads of Edom. Edom didn't let them through. Not nice. Okay, fine. That's three. Four, we get to Hor Hahar. This is where. Aaron Cohen dies. So Aaron Cohen passes away, and um, Elazar Cohen succeeds him. And we are told that Aaron dies because of somehow being an accomplice in the sin at May Mariva. I have an approach to it. If you want to continue the conversation, you know where to find me at the database at gmail.com, and we can talk about Aaron's um, complicity in the sin at May Mariva. Number five we, um, takes place at Charma. Karma is where, after Aaron dies, the Gemara actually talks about this. I think it's the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah. Um, the, but the Gemara talks about um, how the Anani Kavod, 
which is no longer there, right? So when Miriam died, we lost the well. When Aaron died, we lost the Ananiah Kavod. So once we lost the Ananiah Kavod, so we were prone to attacks. We're going to see two different kinds of attacks, attacks by people and attacks by natural predators of the desert. First, we have attacks by people. So at Charmo, there's the war with Melech Arad, who is um, apparently Chazal Talas and Amaleki, um, but he's disguised as a Kena'ani. Um, different approaches to explain that, but the point is they saw that once the Bnei Israel were prone, they went for the attack. They were no longer protected by Arna Cohen's chos of the Anani HaKavod. And um, we're told that they, that they only captured one individual, maybe it was a shifcha, and um, the Bnei Israel davened, and they, they made an adarim that Hashem should protect them, uh, and then they would... Um, and they, they would um, give uh, give to Hashem from from the, what they what they win, and Hashem helped them out there. So that all takes place at Charma. So how, how, where have we gone so far? We we went from Midbar Sin Kadesh towards Edom, then to Horhahar, then to Charma. Um, the reason the place was called Charma was because of the cherem they made. They made a ban on the objects that on the spoils which they would devote to Hashem. Fine. Now six, we go back to Darach Yamsuf. The way of the Yamsuf. So now, when, um, this is because when they, when they were told by Adam they couldn't go through a couple of sections ago, they were told to go around. So now they're actually on their way around towards the Yamsuf, and they're going to go a different route to get to Eretz Yisrael. And this is where they complain about the Mun, among other things. And then Hashem dispatches a fiery serpent swarm against them. I had the question, are they fiery, or uh, were they made of fire? Probably not. Maybe it was more that they were just venomous serpents. And we know the story of Moshe Rabbeinu arranging, setting up the copper serpent, um, or the, the brass serpent, the Nechoshes serpent, that was um, set up so that they can look at it. And then we know the Midrash says, and then they would be protected. That all happened at Derech Yamsuf, where once again they were no longer protected by the Naniya Kavod. So, as Rav Hirsch explains, they were now prone to natural predators of the desert. Okay? Fine, that's section six at Derech Yamsuf. Section seven really takes place in multiple locations. The Chomish records various journeys that took um, going through the um, different lands known as Ovos. We have Ieha Varim, Nachal Zered, Ever Arnon. Arnon is important because that's the border of Emori. And why is that important? Because Klai Israel is about to do a war with Emori. We'll get to that soon. And here the Chumash tells us about this interesting, um, I don't know if, it's, if we can call it an object, probably, yes, the interesting record of the Sefer Melchamas Hashem, the, the Book of the Wars of Hashem, which also, um, which all these different lands that they cross through are recorded, and the wars that they win, the wars that they fight with Siat Deshmaya are recorded in this book. Ibn Ezra says this book no longer exists. It's, uh, it's, it's, not, it's no longer extant. Um, and uh, based on Rashi, What's important for this book is that the book um, establishes for the records that Arnon is at the border between Amori and Moab. And although it's not explicit, um, this particular section hints um, to what's revealed later in Devarim and in Sefer Shoftim that Moshe um, actually had asked Moab for permission to pass through, but they denied the offer. We, uh, we find other lands in Chumash where it's very explicit that Moshe Rabbeinu asked for permission. With Moab, it's really more implicit. 
um, and it's it's not clear why we don't have the the record in the Pesukim of, of Moshe asking Moab for permission. But what's very clear from the entire Parsha's Balak next week, which Chukas is setting up for, as we'll see, um, we know that Moab clearly has a hostile demeanor towards Klai Israel. So for that reason, um, maybe it's not necessary to state that Moab did not take too kindly to our request that we would go through, even though, again, the Chumash doesn't say it outright. And in this section also, we have the Shiras Haba'er, the song at the well. Um, there's a Midrash that says that the well actually sang the song, but what well are we referring to? We're referring to the Be'er Mir- Mir- Miriam, which was just um, um, undug, or I guess it was redug, probably is a more appropriate way to say it, if any way at all, by Moshe and Aaron, you know, at May Mariva. So now they're actually singing about that well. Az Yashir Yisrael, Moshe Rabbeinu's name is not there, um, as it was in Az Yashir Moshe of Yisrael and Parshat B'Shalach. And um, the Pashat Shad answer, which is offered by the Midrashim, is that because Moshe Rabbeinu would, was ultimately smitten by the, by, by the swell because he was punished, wouldn't get the right to go into Eretz Yisrael because of it, so Moshe Rabbeinu is not engaging in the song. Um, and the Rashbam explains that this, this, um, this song of the well, the reason why it's here, and it's not in the earlier section of May Mariva, is for this very reason that it would be very inappropriate for Kleistrel to be singing about this and to, to, to be celebrating the well when this well was just used to, you know, in, in the downfall of their great um, righteous leader, Moshe Havenu. So Rashbam says the topic was postponed. Rashi explains, based on the Midrash, that the song of the well is not just celebrating the fact that Hashem gave them water, but celebrating an entirely different miracle. Had the Amorim, they were trying to set up an ambush with stones that they were going to catapult and drop on the Bnei Israel, and then the mountains quaked and, and shifted and then crushed the Amorim, and then the well carried the blood of the Amorim so that the Bnei Israel could see it, a hidden miracle that they didn't recognize until the well showed them the blood of their enemies. Um, and we you know we know we see so many times after the fact that Hashem is there for us. We're going to see that in Parshas Balak as well. That Hashem just is is dealing with our enemies so mu- so much, even when we don't even recognize it. Thus, Halu as Hashem called Goyim, that even the you know the Goyim see more what Hashem does for us than we do. So we have that happening with the Shira Saba era too, that we sing about the well, celebrating that special nace. And finally, the very last topic we have, it takes place between Arnon, or Emori, until the land of Moab, and this is um, the, the battle with Sichon and Og. There are failed negotiations with Sichon. We want to pass through, they don't let, so then we end up going to war with Sichon and Emori. Um, with this is um, where we find the war with so Sichon, sorry, Sichon is the Melech Amori, and then we have the partnering war with Og Melech Bashan. And at the end of our, um, our domination of Sichon and Og, we park by the plains of Moab, and that sets us up for Parshas Balak, where Balak is the Melech Moab by Isahi, the king of Moab. At that time, he sees our reign of terror, and that's something that we'll have to get to next week. But at the very end of Chukas, we are set up for Balak, um, where we are on our way towards the land of Moab. Okay, so let's go, just mention all the topics again. I know it was a lot, but let's go through it. 
So again, number one was the Chukas Torah of Paraduma. Number two is the story of Meir Mariva, which takes takes place at Midbar Tzin or Kadesh. Number three takes place at the border of Edom. Number that's the the negotiations that failed. Number four we have Hor Hahar, the death of Aaron Cohen. Then five we have at Charma, the war with Melech Harad. Then six, Adarach Yamsuf, we have the story of the fiery serpents. Number seven, we have multiple occasions, various journeys going through the lands, a section that also contains the Sefer Melchamos Hashem and the Shira Sabair, the Song of the Well. And then finally, eight takes place um, between Arno and Amori and Tilmoav. We have the war, well, the, the wars with Sichon and Og, um, with um, Amori and Bashan. Okay, so that's all the topics. Now we must return to the global question of chukas what's chukas about is chukas just about you know the the journeys that we all that we went through there are, you know there's a lot of of stops a lot of locations it's kind of like setting up for parshas masse a little bit of what we alluded to earlier that we just get a lot of locations here so there's a lot of i don't know if we would call it housekeeping but a lot of steps forward towards Eretz Yisrael, we fight some wars, we make some negotiations, or we try to make some negotiations, we avoid some nations, we engage with others. So, um, you know, these are, you know, these are just, you know, travel, this is just itinerary. So a lot of chukas seems to be itinerary related, you know, just, you know, imagine like you have like a map and it just, um, you know, the, the, you have a timeline. So that's a lot of what chukas is about, but that's not a theme, right? So we have to try to understand, you know, globally, what, I mean, what's the theme of chukas, right? We could have had, um, maybe uh, we could envision of a parsha of, uh, of one topic in chukas that focuses on the deaths of Miriam, maybe, in death of Aaron, and then a separate parsha that records all the different travels. Uh, but apparently, all these things are meant to be together for some reason, and it pays to try to understand what is the global theme of parsha Schukas. Once we now have that panoramic view of the parsha, what can we see as we look at it? And this question is again made even more difficult um, when we try to see all of these things in light of Para Aduma. Which again, what does that have to do with anything? Why is it here? So, I will suggest that there are really two large themes to Parshas Chukas. One really focuses on Klal Yisrael as a nation, and one focuses on the leaders of Klal Yisrael, the heroes of Klal Yisrael. Right. Um, and not to be mixed up necessarily with the heroes of Klai Israel in the Vaharevna uh, video, you know, the music video, Hamevan um, Yovan. But the heroes of Klai Israel, namely Moshe Rabbeinu, Miriam, Aaron Cohen. So, what, what, um, what, and what, what do I mean? Let's, let's try to look at it through the lens of Paraduma. So, we know that Paraduma is this chok, it's this thing that we don't understand. Now, what exactly is the aspect of of Paraduma that we don't understand. The way my Rebbe frames the question is just something that we wouldn't have known on our own, right? A novelty, going back to that, that the opening uh, discussion that we started having. Is it just something I wouldn't have known? Because there are many aspects of Torah that I would not have known. I would not have known Basar Bechalov, the Isra of eating milk and meat together. There are a lot of things I would not have known. I would not have known that you should wear tefillin. A lot of things that we might not have known on our own. Maybe on our own we would not have been able to figure out Shabbos. Right, we can understand them. 
So, but what's, what's so difficult to understand? What is so serious a cloud? What's contradictory? What's paradoxical in nature or paradoxical um, in nature about para-aduma? So, the famous answer that's given that, you know, this was beyond even Shlomo HaMelech, and this is something we actually spoke about way back in the special Parsha Panorama series that we devoted to the Dalad Parshios. Go back and listen if you want. Um, but there we were addressing the aspect of Para Aduma that's most um, paradoxical, and that is the idea that it is Matame Esatahorim and it's Matayar Esatameim. That the individual administering Para Aduma to purify others from their impurity takes on his own impurity. Although he was pure before, now he becomes impure. And it almost makes it seem like an unfair deal for the individual who is helping others. Why should that happen? So the Kohen, for example, the Kohen who is helping others become pure through the rite of Para'aduma, why should he have to suffer his own impurity? It just seems unfair. And this chok, you know, um, we suggested, is related to the larger chok of life. The question of tzaddik viralo, why is it fair that something bad should happen to a tzaddik? Why is it fair that a tzaddik should suffer anything? Right, this is a question that's well beyond us, though. It's a question that we can get some inkling of an answer to. I definitely would recommend you take a look at Derech Hashem by the Ramchal. Um, it's really a, it's a, it's a life-changing uh, sefer. I'm not quite finished with it yet, but I'm learning it now. And in uh, the second chilek, um, I believe it's in the second chilek where he addresses it. But it's really, really incredible. He talks about a lot of reasons why tzaddikims suffer in this world. But largely it's a chok. It is a chok. It's something that we don't understand. And this idea of para-aduma, I believe, thematically speaks to the woes of our heroes. The woes of being a hero. Meaning, some would, would frame it as no good deed goes unpunished. And while there may be both truth and heresy to that comment, that famous uh, line, we'll focus on the sacrifices, the Mesiris Nefesh, as it were, and maybe not even as it were, but even literally, the Mesiris Nefesh that it takes to be a leader of Kla Yisrael. Notice how the three main leaders of Klai Yisrael at this time, um, or the, you know, the, the, the siblings, Moshe, Rabbeinu, Aaron, Hakohen, and Miriam Hanaviah, they all find their downfall in this week's Parsha. We know that Miriam does speak Lashon Har in Parshas We know Aaron had his share of slip-ups with the Chaita Egel, maybe, and with, um, you know, apparently May Mariva as well. And Moshe Rabbeinu also, you know, the greatest of them all, and he has his share of mistakes, including, um, and most prominently, May Mariva. Now, Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't die in this week's Parsha, but he's condemned in this week's Parsha. And, in fact, he loses his two siblings, Miriam and Aaron. And you have to wonder, considering that, yes, no one's perfect, okay, fine, but considering all the work they put in, and considering, yes, you could say, yes, Moshe Rabbeinu messed up, he did the wrong thing in May Mariva. But the fact that Hashem can be so harsh, the fact that they can suffer for all of the mysterious nefesh they put in, the fact that Kleistrel is able to enjoy and celebrate and sing a song about a well that Moshe Rabbeinu can't sing about, 
just seems unfair. That Moshe Rabbeinu, like the Kohen Gadol, or like the Kohen um, administering the Parah Aduma, has to be Matame himself while being Matahir others. Has to go down to, to Gehenna, as it were, to bring others out. Like, that's not fair. That's a chok. But that's one of the themes of this Parsha. One of the themes of Parsha's Chukas is to understand that life is filled with mysteries and we don't really understand. We don't, we, we don't really understand why things work the way they do. We don't understand why Tzadikim has to suffer. But that's, uh, you know, that, that, that's one overarching theme, I would say, explains the placement of Para Aduma. Now, if, if you're not into that drash, I'll just mention Apipshat, the Ramban and the Ibn Ezra, they both explain that Para Aduma is picking up from where Korach left off. Korach closed, teaching us a bunch of laws about Kohanim and Leviim, and now we have a special law that's um, focusing on the role of the Kohen in Para Aduma, which is not as much a privilege as the Matanos Kahuna are, which we saw at the end of Korach. Korach finishes off talking about the privileges of the Kohen. He gets Churma, etc., but you know what else he has to do? Just because he gets benefits, just because he gets privileges and entitlements does not mean that he does so without having responsibility. And Para Aduma represents the responsibilities of the Kohen. So we have um, Ibn Ezra and the Ramban on that. Rashi uh, talks about the juxtaposition between the death of Miriam and Para Aduma, the idea that Sadiqim, um, the death of a Tzadik is an atonement, just like the Para Aduma. Uh, good uh, Chaver, um, Eitan Adler, ma- mentioned um, what we find in the Sifsei Chachamim and Rav Moshe Adarshan, that the Chumash highlights that Elazar HaKohen is the one who does Para Aduma, not Aaron. Right, Elazar HaKohen, he would be the Sagan Kohen. Um, and you might suggest that the Chumash is alluding to the fact that at the end of Parsha Sukhas, we're not going to see Aaron anymore. That, you know, anyway it would have to be Elazar HaKohen. But the point is that um, the Chumash here is already alluding to the downfall of Aaron. It's uh, forewarning, perhaps, the downfall of Aaron, or, or the passing of Aaron, if you want to put it more nicely. Um, that, that's going to happen later in the Parsha. So Para Aduma is looking ahead, perhaps, at a lot of things. It's looking ahead at the death of Miriam. It's looking ahead at the death of Aaron. And as I mentioned, it seems that it's also looking ahead at the eventual death of Moshe Rabbeinu. And, 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 you know, it, it works out perfectly because what is Para Aduma to be a purification for? For none other than Tumas Mace. So right after hearing about Tumas Mace, we learn about a couple of people that have unfortunately become Mason. We have Miriam and then Aaron. Okay, so that's some stuff on Para Aduma. And this, once again, speaks to the global panoramic theme of the relationship between Para Aduma and our heroes, the woes of our heroes that we find in our Parsha, the, the, the sacrifice that it takes to be a leader of Klai Yisrael, to be a tzaddik, to be one of our special heroes in our lives. Okay, so that's, that's one aspect. But, as I mentioned, there's, gonna, there's another theme, and this theme speaks to the nation of Klai Yisrael. This theme, if you have not seen it before. The truth is, I haven't heard it anywhere else. It was, it was a personal observation, Leonidas Daiti, but um, I will suggest, Leonidas Daiti, that once you hear it out, you may not be able to unhear it. You may not be able to unsee it. Um, I am pretty uh, compelled by this suggestion, but that is that once, um, you know, once we've alluded to it earlier, 
Parshas Chunkas is not exactly taking place, um, you know, right after Parshas Shlach or right after Parshas Karach. It's taking place, yes, sequentially, this would be where you would put it, but this is you know, almost 40 years later. Meaning, most of Klai Israel who had been condemned to die in the desert have already done so. They've already died. And now we're looking at the second generation. Anyone who was a child, perhaps, at the time of Shalach, or people that weren't even born yet, um, now, what, um, you know, the, so the, I guess the, the youngest person at the time of Shalach would be around 40 years old. Okay, so we have, and so that's where we're holding now. We're looking at a new generation, right? So the complaints that we find about the mun, about lack of water, about um, things that maybe perhaps being better elsewhere, these could have only been inherited from a previous generation of complainers, but this is a new generation, a new generation with perhaps old complaints. Nonetheless, we're looking at a new generation, and I want to argue that this new generation of Israel is being forced to go through experiences that actually imitate, that actually are modeled after Israel's own previous Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. The earlier generation experienced the Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. And there are going to be similar steps. If you look really closely at Parshas Chukas, and you maybe, you've already started noticing, because we've already been saying it, that a lot of Chukas repeats events that took place in none other than Parshas Bishalach. So just to walk you through a little bit of some of those um, repetitions. So, they, you know, where was Klaistral forced to go? They were forced to go Derech Yamsuf. Right? Just keep that in mind. But this new generation, again, is experiencing the previous generation's history. For example, we find um, uh, an additional regression in that the Bnei Israel, they once again, they, they, um, they challenge, um, they, or they're facing a challenge of faith on the backdrop of a war with Amalek. And we have a passage addressing the Mun. The first time that we saw Amalek in combat and the first time we saw the Mun was in Parshas Bashalach. Now we're seeing it here in Chukas. And in both Bashalach and Chukas, Moshe Rabbeinu has to hoist something up in the air to reinstate the faith of the people. In fact, the Mishnah in Rosh Hashanah and Chavtes Amid Aleph talks about these two things and puts them right next to each other. In the war against Amalek, Moshe Rabbeinu raises his hands so that everyone would look up at Shemayim. In Parshas Chukas, Moshe Rabbeinu puts a serpent on a pole for the same reason, that everyone should look up and their hearts should be directed towards Shemayim and their faith would be reinstated. In both B'Shalach and Chukas, the Chumash tells the story of Moshe Rabbeinu retrieving water from a rock, which we spoke about. And both Parshios, if you look really closely, juxtapose that national thirst to Miriam. Right, right after Miriam sings after Az Yashir, so we, we, we find them at Mara. While we're mentioning Az Yashir, both B'Shalach and Chukas have the words Az Yashir. We have a national Shira, and in both places it's related to water. Though in, uh, in, in B'Shalach it's about finding dry land in the water. Here it's actually finding water in something dry, like a rock. It's the reverse. And how about Para Aduma? You know where Chazal tell us Para Aduma was originally taught, even though it's placed here in our parsha. Chazal tell us that the Para Aduma actually was taught at Mara. What parsha? B'shalach. So what's the whole, what's the point of all these things? Klal they go back to Derech Yamsuf. They're facing a Malik again. They're being forced to look up at Shemayim. 
they're learning about the man all over again. Why are all these things happening? So going back to the idea of the chok, of paraduma, I want to suggest that the chok, which reinforces emunah and bitachon and Hashem, that's what prepares us for the spiritual roller coaster that we're going to experience. You know, the paraduma also has agudas ezov. The first time we have the bundle of, of, of hyssop uh, that we find in paraduma, the first time we see that is actually by Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. At Makas Bechoros, we had to take an agudas ezov uh, and put the blood on, on, the, on the lintel and the doorposts. So this new generation of Klal Yisrael is experiencing its own Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. We're re-experiencing Parshas Bashalach, And why? Why does this new young generation need it? Perhaps because they didn't have it before. Perhaps because the Meraglim sort of reversed Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, now we have to undo those effects and we have to go through a new Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. So Parshas Korach reinstated, started to reinstate our faith in, in, in the leaders of Klal Yisrael, Moshe and Aaron, and now we're learning, even as Moshe and Aaron are not going to be there anymore, but we're hopefully strengthening our Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim experience. We're strengthening our Emunah and Bitachon and Hashem. And hopefully that's what's going to carry this new young generation forward. But as we look at the panoramic view of the Parsha, what are we seeing? We're seeing two things. Once again, we're seeing what it takes to be a leader of Klai Yisrael and how Para Aduma um, symbolizes how difficult that is to be a leader of Klai Yisrael. And then we see Klai Yisrael at large. The Amuna and Bitachon and the Chok is not just for the leaders, but it's for the nation as well. That we look at the Chok, we say we don't understand, but we're going to follow anyway. And that's exactly what Yitzhak Mitzrayim was about. That's exactly what every step forward after that was supposed to be about. And now, as we start to segue over to Moab and Parashas Balak, we're going to see how this Yitzhak Mitzrayim experience, keep this in the back of your mind for the whole next week, we're going to see how this further manifests itself in Parashas Balak. Anyway, hope you have plenty to think about this week, and I thank you as always for joining us here at Parsha Panorama, and I wish you a wonderful Shabbos, and thank you again for joining us here at the Database.